1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, Siri. Welcome to High Theory.
0: In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams.
1: And I'm Sharonik Boshu.
0: We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself.
1: Hello, and welcome to High Theory. And we are here today with Anna Cornblue, talking about presentism. Anna, would you mind introducing yourself?
0: Sure. I teach at the University of Illinois, Chicago in the English department. I focus on the history of the novel and pop culture and cinema and TV. And I have written a few different books, perhaps most important to our conversation, one recently called The Order of Forms, Realism, Formalism, and Social Space from the University of Chicago in 2019. And I'm a co-facilitator and co-founder of the V21 Collective.
1: Let me ask you my first question, which is what the heck is presentism?
0: (laughs) Well, presentism is usually a mistake, right? It's usually a kind of naive approach to like looking at the past with the distortions of contemporary goggles. And the way that V21 Collective tries to intervene in that paradigm of mistake is to say, well, actually, maybe there's something strong here, right? Maybe there's something true in the error, which for us is the dialectical relationship of the past and the present. Right. You can't just think about the past as sort of discrete and particular and radically foreign to us, because depending upon what kinds of past you're talking about, and depending upon where you're situated in the present, there's actually a really strong, even determining relationship of ideas and structures in the past on our present conjuncture, our present situation. Right. Presentism is kind of the mistake that we're trying to theorize in a more affirmative way as potentially a kind of method or certainly a dialectical approach to history.
1: Can I ask you about the moment of the inception of V21? Was it a text? Was it a conference? What, how did it come about?
0: Sure. It's funny because we don't have a strong enough origin story for how many times we've been asked this because indeed there was a sort of accidental inception, which was like a group of early career people, grad students and assistant professors mostly who felt like they could tell that there was a hegemonic undialectical approach to history reigning in the field and that as a result of that there were a lot of limits on the kinds of work that one could do. Right. The kind of critique and in terms of the approach to aesthetic forms and in terms of the philosophy of history that those limits were sort of like hindering all of us in terms of like we weren't able to get accepted to conferences and we weren't able to get published in journals and we wanted to just sort of try to form some alliances with more companion thinkers so that we could collaborate more. And then our site became a place where we tried to experiment with, you know, the presentist pedagogy series and a syllabus bank and sort of really supporting some different ways of teaching the past. The origin story is sort of like it was a little bit of a dare and a little bit of us trying to just talk to ourselves. And then it seemed to hit a nerve because the dowagers got very mad at us. And and so then there have been some subsequent journal special issues and things like that. But the institutional form is kind of roving. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And especially on Twitter, if you, I mean, this is a message to the listeners. If you don't follow the V21 Collective on Twitter, you should, because your kind of generic breath is so wild. If, uh, you know, if if I can use that word, because, you know, the, the syllabuses that you do, the polls that you do, and it distributes our engagement with Victorianism in very, very interesting ways. Yeah, that would be the goal. Yeah. So on that note... How do we use a presentism, or how have you used presentism?
0: Well, so that's a, it's a really good question, and I think the use is super important, right? When we called it strategic, we were trying to correct this sense of it as a mistake, right? Trying to think about it as deliberate. In one of our special issues, Nathan Hensley really tries to underscore this emphasis on the strategic side of these formulations from Spivak and Caroline Levine and so on. And he even, you know, kind of quotes Lenin, right? Like our our theory is not a dogma, but it's a guide to action, right? So what kind of action are we trying to do with presentism? Mm. I think fundamentally it's pedagogical and narrative that we're trying to have people be able in the classroom and then in conversation with our colleagues in our fields and out of our fields and in other disciplines to think about why the study of the past Mm. actually is really, really important for understanding the present, to think about why the study of the past isn't useless or boring (laughs) or dead, why it has, in fact, a use. And Nathan's point, again, is like that this is in the context of an administrative version of starving us of (laughs) any humanistic thought that cares for the past in the sense of being interested in struggles, being interested in ideas that are other than purely instrumental rationality or purely the administered world. So how do you use it? We're trying to use it to think about what are some ways that we articulate to our own students and to our own colleagues what the value of the past is that we felt like were different ways than the, oh, there's just sort of like a cultural capital that comes with knowing these things or because we felt like those frames were kind of not working. Yeah, But in respect, then, the use is a kind of circumscribed, modest and local way of thinking about how what kinds of knowledge we produce and what kinds of ways that we metacognize the knowledge in humanist inquiry can become part of some much broader and much more necessary you know movement for fighting for the right to humanistic education, yeah, that fight has not gone well in the last <laughs> seven years, and certainly the pandemic has really brought home the war aspect,
1: yeah,
0: right, yeah. So how do you use it? You know, it's like, wh- how can you have a dynamic approach to human culture and the history of human struggle and the history of art that helps embolden your sense that human beings should be entitled to the study of the past and entitled to, the, to art, right? Yeah. But that sense has to have a practical arena of war, which is, you know, about funding for education and about labor practices and education.
1: Yeah, when the first season of Bridgerton came out, and I think you did like uh, some posts, and I was reading them, and I was thinking that so much of representational media that we consume has to do with not only the past, but very specifically the Victorian age. And it's not just, you know, people who have studied this in institutional circumstances who are engaging with this.
0: I definitely think that. People are looking for vocabularies for yeah, extreme exactly. inequality yeah. and imperial bloat and callous indifference of our oligarchs. Also just profound workplace suffering, right? Yeah. And so many, many features of life in the present actually do seem to resonate quite a bit with life yeah. in the century. Yeah. And where people find those images in the 19th century and then how they kind of, you know, mobilize them to help make sense of where they are. I think that is strategy. I think that is the work of culture. I think that's to be generally affirmed.
1: How will presentism save the world?
0: I actually think that presentism is also understandable in the face of the loss of the world or as a kind of the proper philosophy of history and the experience of temporality that arises when there is no future. Right. Tanya Agathocles is really eloquent about this and another one of our special issues. What if there's a kind of, you know, refusal of the future or a foreclosure of the future a rejection of specific visions of the future in favor of like illuminating What's persistently past in our present, and then the expansiveness and total quality of our present. Right. You know, I think there's a kind of end of the worldness that also presentism can be registered. Yeah. If we have no future, we are locked here, and then we have to understand how we got here, so that we can think about the contingencies of the past and think about whether there remain still opportunities for the end of the world to be less bad. Yeah. But philosophies of history have not necessarily been, you know, central frontline tactics for people trying to save the world. And right now, we need to blow up pipelines and end various forms of concentrated consumption. And those endings don't seem to be rationally coming about, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, there is a kind of inertia to the ways in which capitalism masquerades as common sense. And one of the things that The audacity of presentist study can do is to kind of break through that and say, oh, look at these linkages. This is how it began. This is how we can change things. Yeah. Um, I think
0: that's really important because I also think if, if you think about presentism as a specifically Victorian mode of historicism, right, that like so Ruskin, for instance, had his kind of, you know, fascination with older art forms being related to his critique of industrial labor, things like that. If you think that people were marshalling the past for the purpose of critiquing the present. Right. That, you know, the critical kind of knowledge that comes to us in denaturalizing precisely this capitalist inertia, that people in the past didn't want it to be this way either, that there has always been struggle, right. <laughs> always, right. been, you know, collapse political struggle for freedom and and for something better than what's here i think that putting us in touch with that kind of dynamic character of the past instead of this like dead radically other like uniformity or homogeneity or just you know discrete.
1: yeah i was also thinking about like how so much of science fiction conceptualized like a luddite future essentially
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: sees that kind of very deliberate dissociation from the machinic and the automatized as something that is very hopeful what is in the immediate future of V21?
0: You know, that is a really hard question because the pandemic has hit us very desperately. And I feel like it's extremely hard to hail a subfield when entire fields are having their programs closed and their faculty fired and their graduate students starved. And pretty much the only thing I think about, about the future of any field of literary study or any field of humanistic inquiry is labor organizing. Just thinking about the just bald fact that the fight is for the right to study and engage with art. The abstraction is for everybody, that history is for everybody, and that these are fundamental to a good life, and that we have to have structures and institutions of academic learning, academic funding, and academic labor that make it possible for everybody to have that, and that that's kind of the only horizon that I see for <laughs> most intellectual work right now. So, you know, I'm not sure that it makes sense for us to hail 19th century people or hail literary people when also those designations are falling out of how our curricula are structured and how our jobs are structured because of all these pressures
1: and, right. and
0: so on so i don't know what the future is yeah
1: when we don't know the future i think organizing is literally the only kind of technique that operates for us to reach a point where we might know the future i guess
0: I think we have to, you know, one of the elementary um, 19th century theoretical insights is that ideas come from a context, right? Yeah. And if we don't have the adequate material and institutional political circumstances for thinking, then there's only just going to be a few little boutique big ideas in Victorian studies or something. And I I think that we need more material possibility of producing ideas. Conditions have not been hospitable for thought. In the mm. pandemic and the attacks on university labor in mm. and through it and the intensification of that labor have not been propitious for big ideas. So that's also why I feel sort of out of touch with like, what, what, what should we do next or what, <laughs> what would be next? Obviously, I do think that there's an incredible amount of energy that people from the collective have propagated towards the study of ecocide and climate crisis and the imperial dimensions of climate change and the need for interdisciplinary and collaborative and long durée kind of research there. I think that's one of the dynamic growth areas in humanistic inquiry across fields and disciplines. And I love the way that so many collective members have contributed to that. But that's the main future push that I can envision.
1: Brilliant. Let's end this episode looking forward to that future. Thank you so much, Anna, for coming to High Theory and talking to us about presentism and all it can do.
0: So great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time and for everything you do to facilitate so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to High Theory.
1: If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu
0: manages our social media presence owen quinn composes our theme music and kim adams and sharonik bosu edit our audio
1: you can also find us at hightheory.net
0: we hope you have a highly theoretical day